If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open me to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 10, and we're going to pick up in verse 17, Luke chapter 10 and verse 17. And today we're going to try and uh, do the sermon that I tried to do last week and actually did do. And uh, if, if, if you remember, or maybe, maybe you got the, the text or you didn't, I'm not sure, but uh, we had, had uh, ended up going to virtual because almost the entire church was going to be gone uh, for different reasons. And so we're going to do it as virtual and try that out. And um, I got through the whole sermon and then looked back and, and realized that right at the halfway mark, my mic had died. And so then I replaced the batteries and those batteries were dead too. And so it just, it was one of those days, things just didn't work out. But um, hopefully things will be better today. But we are going to pick up in Luke chapter 10 and verse 17. And you remember from our previous studies that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he's going to suffer and be crucified and died and on the third day rise again. And as he's traveling, he sends some disciples on ahead of himself. It's not the twelve. The Bible tells us that he sent, depending on your translation, maybe 70, maybe 72. Uh, but he sent, sent several of them out in pairs to go to, to, to towns and cities and villages in areas where he's going to be traveling and prepare the way for him. And one of the things they were to do is they were to proclaim the message of the kingdom, perform miracles. And as we're going to see today, they were supposed to be casting out demons. And uh, so they, they've done that. They return. And we're going to look at their happy, joyful response as they return and, and the success stories that they had. So if you found Luke chapter 10, I'd like you to stand with me in honor of God's word if you're able. And we'll pick up in verse 17 and read down through the end of the text. It says, The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. At that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent, and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this, for, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see, and did not see them, and hear the things which you hear, and did not hear hear them. Thank you. May be seated. <clears throat> now, as we look at our text, the first thing I want you to see is that salvation is more important. Salvation is more important. Now, if you look back at at, at verse seventeen, you'll see that the seventy or seventy-two they returned from their mission, and the Bible says they returned with joy. In other words, they were pumped up. They were excited. The, 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 the word that's translated as joy or, or, or joyful has the idea of being full of, of gladness, of being delighted. These people were enthused when they got back to Jesus. And again, notice what we've seen before. We, we've talked about this, but the Christian life and joy go together hand in hand. They're like hand in glove. They fit together because if, if we have Christ in our heart, we should have joy in our hearts. But they come back and they are joyful. And and, and notice why it is that they are rejoicing. If you look at what it says, it's because they said the demons, even the demons, are subject to us in your name. Now, the disciples knew that they were no match for the devil on their own. 
They knew that they were no match for the demonic uh, hordes of hell on their own. And the Bible says that they, they, they didn't cast out demons in their own power. The Bible says they did it in Jesus' name. They did it under His authority. They did it with His power. And I, I think that there may have been, uh, there, there's joy that this is happening, but I think there may have been an element of surprise here too. Because you might remember back in, I think it's chapter 9, Jesus takes, okay, so he has a, a whole bunch of people following him, just disciples in general. Then he has the 12, who are sometimes called disciples, sometimes called the apostles. But even in that, that group of 12, there, were, there was an inner circle. There were Peter, James, and John. They were the, they, they were the three that they got to go with Jesus when others didn't. And so he took, he took Peter, James, and John up on the Mount of Transfiguration. When he comes down with them, he finds his, the, the other nine that he left below surrounded by a bunch of people and they were working with a man who had a demon-possessed son and, and, and this, this demon-possessed son could not have the demon cast out of him. The disciples were not able to do it. And so I think that as, as these 70 or as these 72 go out, they cast out the demons, I think they're probably a little surprised because here are, these, here are the 12 who are kind of Jesus' closest group and they're not even to cast out all the demons with a word. And here these, these 70 or these 72 go out and they cast out the demons with a word. Now in that day there were Jewish exorcists. And what they would do, of course they didn't cast out demons in Jesus' name, but what they would do is they had all kinds of different methods to try and coax or cajole or annoy the demons so much that they would leave. And so they would use different incantations. Sometimes they would have some kind of a, a, a really stinky material and they would make the person smell it to try and annoy the, the demon so much that it would leave. And yet these, these disciples, they go out, they say the word, and the demons flee. They say the words and the demons, uh, they, 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 they leave the person. That with just a simple statement, a simple command. And, and it probably surprised them. They didn't have to go through these big rituals that they had seen and been exposed to all their lives. And, and, and so in response to this, look at verse 18. Jesus does not try to quell their enthusiasm. He doesn't say, okay, that's good. But remember, we're Baptists. We are the frozen chosen. You don't need to smile. Don't need to, you don't need to, to, to smile or laugh or, or show any enthusiasm. You need to be stony-faced like a good Baptist. He doesn't say that. I mean, I, I've heard of people that are what you might call senior saints, and somebody who is a new Christian comes to them. They're so enthused, so excited that to, to, they're part of God's family. And the, the senior saint says, well, you'll get over it. Man, if you've ever said something like that, you need to, you need to repent of that. that is, you should not be saying such things to new Christians. And, and Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, he affirms what they've done. If you look at verse 18, he says that he saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now, when we, when we think about the fall of Satan, or people talk about the fall of Satan, they usually actually turn to the Old Testament. Because there are two passages in the Old Testament that, that traditionally people have seen uh, and, and applied it to the devil. One is in Isaiah 14, and the other is Ezekiel 28. And I'll just give you the references. I'll, I'll read them, but we don't have time to turn to them today. But Isaiah 14 and verse 12 says, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. Then he goes on in verses 13 and 14, and he says, But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will raise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and make myself like the most high. Or they'll point to Ezekiel 28 in verses 12 to 14 where it says, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. 
You were in the garden uh, in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I placed you there. Uh, you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. And most likely you've seen those passages apply to the devil, haven't you? Well, it may apply to the devil, but in its primary context, it actually refers to kings. Because Isaiah 14, verses 3 and 4 says, And, it'll be that, uh, and it will be in the day when the Lord gives you rest from your pain and turmoil and harsh service in which you have been enslaved, that you'll take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. And then Ezekiel 28, and verse 12 says, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre. Now these passages may refer to a demonic or satanic power behind the throne, but either way, that's not what Jesus is talking about. And I, I mention all that just because we, we read about the fall of Satan, and people usually will say, okay, well, I remember talking about in Sunday school, there's the fall of Satan. Um, there was some kind of talk about him being uh, an angel and stuff like that. Then you go look in your concordance and, and Google things, and you end up in those passages. That's not what Jesus is talking about. In the context, notice what he says, verse 17. They say, the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from, from, from heaven. In other words, these, these simple people, these disciples, these people that are nobodies in the world, I mean, the Bible doesn't even record their names. We don't know who they are. These people who are just simple, regular, run-of-the-mill people, as they're being obedient to God, they are breaking the power of Satan. This one who vaunted himself, you remember in, in Christ's um, uh, temptation, he was out in the wilderness and the devil was tempting him doing different things. And at one point he, he takes him up real high and he, he shows him the kingdoms of the world. He says, here is the glory of the kingdoms of the world. You just, you just say the word, you just bow, you, you just give me honor and I'll give all to you. It, it's mine to do with what I want. This one who, who is a self-professed king of the world is being run out of town on a rail by simple people like you and me who are being obedient to God. Jesus said, yeah, the, 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 the demons are subject to you. I saw you breaking the power of Satan. He was fleeing, he was running as you were doing this ministry. Even as crafty as the devil is, he has no power, he, he is no comparison to Christ and his authority. Now if you look, he goes on in verse 19. And he says he's given them power and authority over serpents and scorpions. Now, clearly, this is a metaphor. This is a picture. He is not saying, I saw you, I saw Satan fall from heaven. I saw you breaking the power of, of the devil in, in your ministry. And then he goes on and talks about, I've given you authority over all the power of the wicked one. And in the middle of that, he's not saying, oh, and by the way, uh, you need to make New Hope a, a snake handle in church. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying, he's using this as a picture, a, a, a word picture of all the power, all the, all the, all the uh, venomous, poisonous hostility of the devil in all, in all of his efforts, even if they show themselves in human form, such as the Pharisees as they oppose Christ. He, and, and, and what he's saying is, I have given you, you don't need to worry about your safety. He says, I, have, I am going to protect you. I've given you authority over these things. You do what I've called you to do, and I will take care of the rest. Now, I, I, want, us to, I want us to make sure that, that we have a correct view of things because we need to make sure and remember there is a devil. Sometimes people kind of, they, they give him too much credit or they don't give him enough. 
we need to remember there is a devil. There are demons. And they are hostile towards God. They're hostile towards us as his people. They're hostile towards the gospel. But listen, they will only do what they're allowed to do. They will only go so far as God allows them to go. And only so long as God allows. And sometimes we think, it seems like, that there is this, this cosmic battle of good and evil between equals. As if God and the devil are on equal footing and... Oh, well, the devil got this round. Oh, God got that round. Let's see who's going to get the decision in the end. There is no comparison. There isn't, there, they are not equals. God is sovereign. The devil is not. Christ is king. He is in charge. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And everyone and everything, including Satan and all the demons, answer to him. He is in control of everything and everyone. And, and as great as all this news is, that, that they have this authority over the, 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 the evil one and, and they can cast out demons and all those things. Look at verse 20. Nevertheless, however, hold up. Don't rejoice so much in that. Instead, where should your rejoicing be? Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Now, if you've ever done genealogical research, you may be familiar with this. But used to, they would, they would take the names of the citizens of a town or city, and they keep them in a, a register, a book. And if somebody was born, they would write that person's name in the book. Sometimes if, uh, and you may have seen this, in, uh, especially if you've done research and ended up in, uh, looking at, at records over in, in Europe. The, these birth records and, and the, 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 the baptistry records and all those things, many times were kept and used as tax records because that's how they kept track of their citizens. Who was a citizen, who was not. And that's, that's basically the imagery here. Jesus is talking about being a citizen of heaven. He's saying that your, your salvation is more important than spiritual subjection. Your salvation is more important than all the fringe benefits of being a Christian. Being on heaven's roll is greater than, it's more blessed than being able to cast out demons at will. Salvation is more important. And I want to say that the same thing is true today. Because many times people will, will, will come to God for the benefits that they can get from God. But the benefits, the side benefits, is not the reason that Jesus came. Being saved and going to heaven, having your, your name written in the Lamb's book of life, is more important than any of the fringe benefits of becoming a Christian. I mean, we, we talk about fellowship, and, and in this church we have great fellowship. We're like a, a big extended family and, and all those things. And listen, I love you all, but I'd rather have Jesus. And as, as good as the fellowship is with all of you, that is not the main reason Jesus came. It's a side benefit but the reason Jesus came was to reconcile us to God. The reason Jesus came was to die on the cross as a substitution for us on our behalf that if we will put our faith in Him, we could be saved. And that was, the, that was the truth that Christ proclaimed. That was what the disciples proclaimed. And that's why I'm proclaiming today that if you've never turned from your sin, if you never repented, if you never put your faith in Christ, you need to do so today because otherwise you are condemned you are headed to hell. You are separated from God and apart from Him. And if you die in that condition, you will eternally be separated from Him in hell. But the Bible says that Jesus came. He died on the cross. That if we will 
put our faith in Him, all those sins will be washed away. Our sin will be separate us as far as the east is from the west. And we'll be made right with God. We'll have fellowship with Him. We'll be taken from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We'll be adopted into His family. We'll have eternal spiritual life. We'll have heaven when we die. And, and it could be that you've never done that. And if you've, if you've never done it, I plead with you to do that today. Because that is, salvation is more important. It's more important than anything else that you have in your life. Second, and, and quickly, I want you to see that we cannot know God apart from his self-revelation. We cannot know God apart from his self-revelation. Look at verse 21. It says that Jesus rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit. Now, that's, that's not a common description of Christ, and, and I don't think that he was walking around uh, all pruny-faced. I, I don't think that, you know, finally he broke a smile, and that's why it was recorded in Scripture. I don't think that's what, what's going on. I think that he had joy. I think he was, I think he was serious. But, but I, don't, I, I think that there was something so effervescent, for lack of a better term, so, so overwhelming in his reaction, in, in, in the way that he uh, well acted in verse 21, that it was noteworthy. Now, this is just kind of a, a, a side note, but I want you to see that the Trinity is mentioned here. Because we have the Son, who rejoices in the Spirit, and he addresses the Father. But he praises the Father for revealing these things to infants. Now, he's not talking about Jesus going to the birth ward at... Cox Hospital and, and, and showing the babies all these things. What's he talking about? He's talking about, again, the, the, the unimpressive people, the unexceptional people who are following him, the childlike disciples. They're not part of the academia. They, they were not men of letters. They, they were not part of the upper crust. They were simple, working class people like us. And, and God chose to reveal these things to them. And notice that is how they or anybody else can know the Father or the Son. It must be revealed to them by God. Now listen, all of creation testifies there is a God. The, the, the heavens declare His handiwork, the Bible says. But that is not enough. We cannot know Him enough. We cannot grasp salvation enough from those things unless the Father reveals Himself to us. Number three, uh, it ends up with Jesus basically saying that the Old Testament believers wish they could see what the disciples saw. The Old Testament believers wish they could see what the disciples had seen. Look at verse 24. The Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament saints, think about Moses, Abraham, David, all these, all these Old Testament saints, they trusted God. They believed God. They, they looked ahead. In I mean, they, they didn't have some magical you know, stone they could look at and see the future. But in faith, they looked ahead to Christ's day and, and to the coming Messiah. And they believed God. They put their faith in Him. They didn't know when it was going to happen. They didn't know all the details of it happening. But they, 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 they trusted God for this Messiah, and they longed to see His day. Peter tells us that even the, the prophets, when they wrote the prophecies, they didn't know all that, it, that even their own writings referred to. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. says, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know 
what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. These men didn't write their own thoughts, their own ideas, their own opinions. They, they, they penned the words of God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And what was it that they wrote? They foretold of the Messiah that would come, born of a virgin, who would live a perfect, sinless, holy life. He'd lay down his life as a substitution on the cross, that he would take the sins of his people, and that God would pour out his wrath, and that the Bible calls it, he would be a propitiation. He would, he, he would make payment for that sin. That's what they prophesied about. And but, but he didn't just stay on the cross. He would be buried, and on the third day he would rise again. It's all throughout Scripture. I mean, you read Isaiah 53, and you read the crucifixion account, and, I mean, it's, it's just right on top of it. Hundreds of years before it ever happened. And the Bible says something else. The Bible says that if we hear His voice, I'm not talking about a voice from heaven thundering down out of the sky, but I mean as we read the Scripture, as we hear the Scripture, as, as the Scripture is proclaimed, the Spirit of God, he, he will speak to our hearts, He will convict us of sin, He will draw us to, to, to God. And the Bible says that if we hear His voice, don't harden our hearts. Why? Because there's a day coming when God will judge the world by Christ. And, there, and, and every person is going to stand before Him. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And on that day, it's too late to make any choices. It's going to be too late to say, well, I, I, let, let, me have one more, let me have one more crack at it. Therefore, while it's still called today, the Bible says, we need to get right with God. And if you've never done that, we need to do that, you need to do that today. And it could be that you're here and, and you have done that. Listen, I want you to remember, the devil is not on par with God. Sometimes I think that we give him too much credit because of our own weaknesses, and he just gives us a little temptation and we just run after it. Sometimes we come up with our own ways to, to, to sin. And yet God commands us to do this, that, or the other, and, and because of our own weaknesses and, and, and some, well, frankly, sometimes our, the rebellion in our hearts, we fail to do those things. And so sometimes we give him more credit. We think he's more powerful than he is. Now, he is crafty. He has schemes. He has stratagems. But he is not equal to God. He's not even close. He is a created being just like everyone and everything else. God's in control. And as we as his people are obedient to him, the devil will flee. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. As we, as we move ahead, as we advance the kingdom of God, the power of Satan is broken. He has to flee. He has to run. And I just want to encourage you because there, there are times when we fail so many times. And again, I think we assign too much credit to the devil. There's forgiveness for when we fail. There is restoration when we fail. But we can resist the devil and he will flee from us. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes.
and with nobody looking around, I just want you to do some soul searching. Are you in the kingdom of God? Not do you come to church regularly, not have you been baptized, but is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Have you ever turned from your sin? Have you ever called on God for salvation? Because salvation is most important. It's, it's more important than, than any of the side benefits we get from being a believer. And if you are a Christian, do you keep God and the devil in the proper places? In your own heart and in your own life? Heavenly Father, we thank you that just in our, our simple everyday lives, as we follow you, we share the gospel in, in word and in deed. And we witness to folks and, and that, that your kingdom advances. We thank you that the devil is powerless to overcome you and, and your word and and God I pray that you'd help each of us as we uh, try to live our lives the best we can to show your love to show kindness to folks but not just to do that but also to put words to our our faith and God I pray that you'd give us confidence as we uh, as we try and, and serve you and God, in, in our own personal lives, I pray that you'd help us to uh, submit ourselves to you and resist the devil. And God, for those times when we've failed, I pray that you would um, bring restoration to us and our relationship with you. But Lord, for that person maybe who's never accepted Christ as their Savior, I, I ask that you would draw them to yourself and let them become your child today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.